Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Steve Heron, the founder of Hope Sound Bible College in South Florida, was a man of passion and vision. This is a wonderful sermon preached many years ago at the Interchurch Holiness Convention in Dayton, Ohio, and he titles it, Search Me, O God. I know you're going to enjoy this powerful sermon. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I think it would be in order this afternoon if all of us would join together with the psalmist in praying this kind of a prayer. We are living in a desperate hour. We are living in a very crucial moment. Now, what a serious time it is. So let us this afternoon join in with the psalmist. I don't think it'd be out of place to you. Not my brother and my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Search me. We need to pray this kind of a prayer because of the deceptiveness of human nature. Sometimes we say, well, I've searched my heart well and good, but that's no evidence that you know your heart. For the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And it's both shocking and disturbing the things that people can go on with locked up in their hearts and lives and yet seemingly thinking everything's all right. Of course, I guess nobody up here would ever do that, but a lady down in Alabama has reportedly said, I just hated so-and-so, but the Lord kept me sanctified through it all. It might be a little shocking what the Lord's keeping some of you sanctified through. I say we need to pray this kind of a prayer because of the deceptiveness of human nature. We can deceive ourselves. We can rationalize around. We're adept at it. We're experts at it. 
then again we need to pray this kind of a prayer because of the deceptiveness of this age. Not only is the human heart deceptive, but the age in which we're living is characterized by deception. And the master said that it were possible it would deceive the very elect. And if we make it through, we'll be fortunate by the grace of God. We are living in a day of deception, subtle deception. Then how? It behooves us to say, Oh God, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. We need to pray this kind of a prayer because there's a kind of a philosophy that we aren't careful that's abroad in our wholeness people. We get the idea I'm saved and sanctified. There couldn't be anything wrong with me. You think I'm preaching to somebody else this afternoon, but I'm not. I'm talking to you and to me. I hope I've never been guilty of taking out any personal vengeance or spite or anything like that. I don't think the pulpit's a place for that. I've, I've tried to practice anything somebody in your congregation is guilty and you know they're guilty or they need to rebuke along some line and they're the ones you know they're maybe the only ones in the crowd don't take everybody else's time rebuking them go to them personally look them in the eye now that doesn't mean if God's laid a truth on your heart and somebody walks in and you know it may fit them you don't change your message because they happen to come in but neither is the pulpit a place to take our personal vengeances, our spites, or anything else. But at the same time, my friend, somebody said the preacher was preaching to me. Well, who do you think he's preaching to? The Chinese? I never have preached to empty benches. I've had to preach over a lot of empty benches sometimes to get to the folks on the back seat. I haven't always preached to full benches, but I wasn't talking to the benches. I never have had any benches at the mourner's bench. <laughs> I never have been able to take much of a collection out of empty pews either, so <laughs> they're never much of an inspiration. Well, we preach to people, of course, not at them, but to them. Some people about like said the young pastor went to preach and after he'd preached on a certain line why they said uh, don't preach on that he said so and so's guilty so he preached something else they said don't preach on that so and so's guilty well he kept on finally they, he said what can a fellow preach well they said preach to the Jews as none of them live around here But I trust this afternoon that the Lord will direct his truth to our hearts. I'm not talking just to you. I'm talking to myself, but I am talking to you. I'm not talking to anybody else. I'm talking to you. 
We need to pray this kind of a prayer because God knows us already. The opening verses of the psalm says that thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. There's not a word in my tongue, but thou knowest it all together. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the earth, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I say the darkness shall cover me, the darkness shall be as the light, for the darkness hideth not from thee. You know me. Then you say, why in the world would you pray this kind of a prayer if God knows it already? Well, it isn't for God's information, friends. Some people pray as though they need to inform God of a lot of things. I have known of prayer meetings when I got rather embarrassed at the gossip session that went on. Did you ever have that kind of prayer meeting? A sanctified gossip session. You tell God other people's faults out loud while other people listen to you. Say, I didn't know that. What did you mean when you prayed like that a while ago? Now, friends, God knew all about Brother Jones or Smith or Brown or whoever you were praying about, and you didn't need to mention those things out where other folks were hearing it. We always say, now, Lord, you know this dear so-and-so. Well, sure he knew it. You didn't have to tell him. But why does the psalmist pray this way if God already knew it? So he would know it. For only confessed sin is forgiven sin, and only acknowledged iniquity is cleansed iniquity. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to pray this kind of a prayer because God loves us. He loves us too well to let us get by with anything that would condemn us. And he loves us too well to condemn us for anything of which we're not guilty. Now, quite frankly, I'm not going to turn myself over into your hands. I won't trust you. There's remote possibility some of you might have so much pity and compassion you'd be too easy on me. There's a far greater possibility some of you would be too severe. <laughs> the dust you saw was on your eyeglasses, not me. <laughs> we can't trust your friends to search you. They love you too much sometimes. They're too sentimental. They actually don't love you too much to tell you the truth. Actually, there are only two people that will tell you the truth, exactly what they think. That's a person that really loves you and a fellow that's mad at you. <laughs> if you get him mad enough, he'll tell you exactly what he thinks. <laughs> but you can't ask your enemies to search you, and you can't trust your friends to search you, but you can trust God. Thank God. He isn't going to be unfair with me. He isn't going to be unkind with me. After all, friends, if some of you sitting there with a little child 
And that child gets some kind of an infection and a sore and an ulcer or something, and you have to go down to the doctor and have that lance. Do you get any particular delight out of it while he kicks and squirms and yells bloody murder and thinks you're the most cruel person in all the world? And the doctor has to open that up and get all of that infection out. Is that pleasant? You get a kick out of it? Hardly. Well, why do you do it? He certainly doesn't want you to do it. Well, why do you do it? Why, preacher, it's, you're silly to save the child, of course. And that's the reason why God probes us. That's the reason why God searches us. That's the reason God deals with us, and that's the reason some preachers preach like they do, because they love us and trying to help us. So let's join in with the psalmist, will you? Would we dare to do it this afternoon? Could it be possible we could find an audience of people this Sunday afternoon that would dare to be honest with the Lord? It's awful difficult. Now, don't sit there and look at me like you think it isn't. Maybe you've never tried it. <laughs> Try it. It's hard for us to be hard on ourselves and fully honest with God. These minds of ours, if we aren't careful, will play tricks of rationalization. Excuse. You know, isn't it peculiar how you condemn in me what you can excuse in yourself and I condemn in you and excuse in myself? Why, you say, you should have known I didn't mean it that way. Well, you should have known I didn't either. We expect a lot of charity out of other folks looking our way. But we're pretty severe when we look their direction. Search me, O oh God, and see if there are any secret reservations in my consecration. It means something to be consecrated to the Lord. Do you know it? it means a great deal more, I think, sometimes than we realize. We sing our sentimental songs and we talk about, I'm all on the altar, but are we? How many of us are like the girl Commissioner Bringle tells about in her prayer and saying, Lord, anywhere but Africa. Anywhere but Africa. How many of us are willing to say anything, Lord, except? How many of us pray anything, Lord, and all the time we have a secret fear in our heart he might ask us something? fine lady got up at the camp meeting down in Alabama a good many years ago. Fact is, I guess she came to the mourner's bench. She was a pastor's wife. She was a leader in the conference. I won't say more or less than identifying. A very fine lady. But in brokenness and tears, she acknowledged it had been an awful trial for her to be willing to live in a parsonage. I wonder if I'm talking to any preacher's wife this afternoon that might be having that kind of a battle. And it isn't always roses to put up with us preachers. <laughs> Besides the layman you have to put up with too, you know.
I remember also hearing a man who had been, I think, a former conference president, that at out in one of our Western conferences at that time, a man had been on hard scrabble circuits, having a difficult time. But he got up one conference and said, I'm not taking a church or to that effect. He said, I'm going to make some money for A.B. talking about himself. I'd like to say my hat is off to any man who takes a hard scrabble circuit and is willing to work to support himself. But like my brother pastor, my brother preacher, let us be careful that we do not get caught in this drift of materialism and desire for things. The sad sequence followed that. His good brother talked about how his, I think the, the police called him and said, maybe hundreds of miles away, we have your daughter in jail. Sometime later, out in Oregon or Washington State, he talked to one of this preacher's boys, met him. If I remember correctly, he was a confirmed communist. Yes. He said, I'm going to make some money for A.B. I knew a preacher who never would take a church full-time. man of ability could have, as far as preaching is concerned, could have probably held most any pastor in the conference. But he had a good job. He was going to have to educate his children. He'd preach on the side. That job led him to the penitentiary. Search me, O oh God, and see if there's a secret reservation in my heart. God, help us, friends. This thing means a lot more than we think. Search me, O oh God, and see if there's any loss of tenderness, brokenness of spirit, unteachableness in my heart. I was preaching in a camp meeting not more than a million miles from here some years ago, and a good brother got up and testified. He had preached in some of the large holiness camps of this country. He'd preach with men like Dr. Brasher and others and that leaders of the holism. But 20 years he'd been backslidden and away from God, deep in sin and out in the world, had recently gotten back to God. I can't remember whether he told me or whether old Dr. Brasher, the only time I guess I ever got to talk with him, Brother Egan and I visited him, or whether he told me this and I, or whether the man himself. But anyway... Dr. Brasher wrote that good brother a letter, and I think after he got back to God, but anyway, he said, I noticed there was creeping into your ministry a harshness. I'm not appealing for soft soap, but my brother, be, care of that, be careful of that metallic, harsh, severeness that has no tears no brokenness you can line them up skin them take their hides and hang them out on the tree you can do all of that 
but you can lose your soul while you're doing it. Search me and see if I've lost that brokenness of spirit, that teachableness. The wisdom that is from above is easy to be entreated. I tell you, friends, I'm concerned about folks that can't be told. When we're right, everybody's wrong. The chances are we're wrong. I decided a good while ago that no matter through whom God wanted to send it, I want to take the truth he has to send to my heart. The preacher may butcher the king's English. He may be off in his theology. I may think I've got more sense than he has or more religion, but if he's got God's message for my soul, I want to listen to it. One of the tragic things of this hour, and it could be of this camp meeting this afternoon, is that we sit back with our prejudices and our defenses and our attitudes that keep the truth from getting to us. They tell it about a, one of the great preachers of the Southland a number of years ago, and he had God in the glory, but anyway, he said, I saw coming to the meeting one day, an old ram. You know what that is, a bell sheep of the flock, you know, just an old ram. And he said, I put a gospel ball in the sling and let it fly right at him. He said, he just ducked his head and I hit a lamb right between the eyes. I said, I'll get him with the next one, and he let fly, and he just ducked his head the other way and down went another lamb. He said, finally, I got desperate, and I began to throw in gospel balls right and left at that old fella, and he sat, ducked, and dodged, and I ended up with an altar full of lambs and that old ram marching up and down saying, pray through, pray through. <laughs> Have you ever felt your heart sink? And somebody that needed the truth about the worst of anybody else come and said, Brother, you really told them this today. <laughs> that really did that. Keep laying pile, lay it on them, preacher. Lay it on them. Oh, your heart's sick, brother. So it didn't soak through his high. <laughs> the wisdom that is from above is easy to be entreated. I believe, friends, a mark of a Christian is a teachableness. When we get to the point where we can't be told, there's something wrong. We had a boy down in the Hope Sound. I don't any of you Hope Sound students get nervous. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> it was way back the first year we were there. And I don't know if any of you were there then. This was a fine lad, really, brilliant lad. I announced I was going to give a test in Greek one day, and... Uh, to, or rather, I told them they had to learn 90-something, 90 about 95 vocabulary words where they could sit down and write them, 95 of those words, and get at least 90 of them right without consulting the book. He said, is that going to be it? I said, yeah. He said, I'm ready now. I said, oh, we'll see. 
And I throw through him at him, right and left, and he got 90-something out of those, 95, I think, and only missed an accent or two on some of those. So he was nobody's fool intellectually. But he had a quirk. He didn't think anybody had the blessing. He didn't think I had it. He didn't think Sister Zook had it. He didn't think Brother French had it. Might not have been so bad if he just thought I didn't. <laughs> but when he didn't think, when he thought those saints didn't, brother, there's something wrong. <laughs> we had Brother French came in about Thanksgiving time, preaching a few days meeting, and he said the meetings were oppressive. <laughs> Got nothing out of them. He wanted to stay home in his room instead of going to chapel, so he didn't get anything out of it but I wouldn't let him. <laughs> but finally, finally, toward the end of the year, he said, I see it now. It was my fault. Now think about it, friend. Go through the whole year and miss the benefits and the blessing that God had for him and finally wake up that it was his own attitude. And you might go out of this service and find out actually God had something for you if you'd open your heart toward God. God said the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart thou wilt not despise. It makes me a bit apprehensive when you see people begin to stiffen. lose that brokenness of spirit. They never humble themselves. You never find them coming around begging a pardon. You never say, well, they never admit they're wrong. Other folks can't. There was a day when they did. There was a day when they took that line. There was a day when they emphasized that. There was a day, but now they're still. How long has it been, friends, since we humble ourselves? You say, I'm saved and sanctified. Well, are you? I got to thinking the other day, a man and I got into a discussion. I guess it must have been at a general conference. Rather, I disagreed, he disagreed with me, and I disagreed with him. He was a man in the high ranks of the church. I got a letter from him. He said, I owe you an apology. I, when I, I do, felt I was, didn't feel right when we were having that conversation out there with the tabernacle. He's gone to heaven. His reward. That doesn't lower that man. I got to think about the other day. That was big. Why, who was I? A little whippersnapper from Alabama, little two-by-four preacher, but here's a man in high office writing to me, apologizing to me. Maybe I need to hear more than me, but think about it. Brother, he went up, and my guy's got to think about it. That took bigness of soul. I'm not saying that to reflect on him. I'm saying that to boost it. Because, brother, that took something. How about you? 
Why, if I admit I was wrong, they'll think I wasn't sanctified. Well, what you admit doesn't change. What is is what counts, friend. Let's examine our hearts. Are we losing something of our brokenness? In standing for truth and right, have we become to stiffen? Have we become... How long has it been since you've been? Just bowed, humbled yourself, admitted you were wrong, asked forgiveness, begged pardon. You mean a sanctified man has to do that? Well, you can use your own judgment. You say, I don't. We know you don't. It's quite evident you don't. Well, they'll lose confidence in me. No, they're wondering why and how you can go on after showing that spirit or saying that rash word or manifesting. They're wondering how you can go on without apologizing. Search me, O oh God, and see if I'm losing my brokenness of spirit. Doesn't hurt us to admit if we're wrong. We're sorry. Forgive me. Some folks don't like it because we have times of confession and brokenness like that in our chapel services down at Hope Sound. We've had some criticism over that. I've asked the students to forgive me, individually or collectively, if I think I've missed it anywhere. But I believe, friends, when we stiffen up and starch up and refuse to bend and bow, we're going to lose God and the glory. Wouldn't hurt us to have a little more of that in this meeting. Let's start working on ourselves. What do you say? Search me, O God, and see if there's any hidden weakness that will break down in the stress and the strain of life. It's frightening sometimes, friends, to observe little things, little tendencies in lives. You know, it's the little things, it's the straws in the wind that show which direction the wind's blowing and the currents are going. You don't throw a boulder in the, in the stream to see which way the current's going. You throw a chip on the tide. And you don't wait to see telephone poles weaving to tell which way the wind's going. If you wait that long, you've waited too late. It's the straws in the wind, the little things that show which direction, the direction of the air current. And it's the little attitudes in our lives, the little things that indicate the direction they're going. Sometimes, you can tell in the look of a countenance. 
You can just see it. You can see the set. Maybe somebody has to take a rebuke. You notice it. There's a stiffening. There's a, and you sense there's a deep inner rebellion. And something sinks in your heart. Where's this going to lead to? The small wound in the tree out there, my friends, is not very conspicuous and doesn't look very serious, but it may be the beginning of a rotting process that someday, before the stormy wind, will lay that tree prostrate on the ground. The time to let God deal with us is in the beginning. The slight leanings, the inclinations. Oh, let's ask the Holy Spirit to keep a careful guard on our souls. Help me the first approach to feel a pride or wrong desire. To catch the wandering of my will and quench the kindling fire. Search me, O oh God, and see if there are any little secret leanings toward the world. You know, some people were just waiting so, till a thing was legalized so they could do it. They already were doing it in their hearts. I was at a neighboring camp here over New York State a few years ago, and a good lady testified that meeting. You know what she said? She said, last year I got my television out of my house. That's good, isn't it? She said, this year I got it out of my heart. <laughs> well, it's a good thing to get it out of your heart. For out of the heart are the issues of life. And what we are in our heart is what's going to determine what we're going to do down the way. And you're going to go the way you've been tending. Be very careful of those tendencies, those trends in life, for you're going in that direction. And you're going to do in the crisis what you've been tending to do all the time. Well, I've seen some very serious spiritual collapses. And God only knows how near any of us might have been, but for the grace of God. But I think now of a case that just seemed to go down overnight, just bang. My mind went back, my friends, to a little weakness that had revealed itself a good many months before, several to say the least. And I can't help but believe that there is a definite tie between this weakness back there and this collapse over here. Would have been a different story to tell if we'd have caught those first inclinations of those Stop the thing in its inception. Could I be talking to somebody here this afternoon that if you aren't careful, your home's going to be wrecked? 
Sir, matters not whether you wear a preacher's garb or whether you are a class leader in the church. I'm talking to somebody maybe this afternoon that if you don't catch this thing, it's, there's an inclination in your heart already. Better be honest. Better bear our soul to God. Better let him deal with us. Deal with us where we need it. In the depths. Not in the shallows. In the depths. Don't trifle. Don't play. Let God deal desperately with your soul. The tragic thing about this, sometimes these things go on for years before they finally lead to a break. A good woman in the church I was pastoring a number of years ago, old enough, I guess, to be my mother, call me with tears the phones that pray for me later i sat in her home and she told me with tears when brother so-and-so was here sometime previous in revival god showed me some things she didn't mind god she didn't make the necessary adjustments i don't know what happened i didn't ask her it wasn't my business but she said with tears and brokenness they failed god and failed her family and failed herself god tried to show her months before weeks before you didn't see it. I was preaching along the similar line like this down in South Carolina in the church one Sunday morning. If I had asked the pastor, who is the most spiritual man in this church? I think he would have pointed out a brother sitting right back here. Had a center aisle like this tabernacle, two rows of seats here. I remember where he was sitting, approximately. I think if you had asked most of the people in that church, who's the most spiritual man in this church? They'd have said this man. I think if you'd asked me, who's the most spiritual man in this church in your judgment? I'd have probably picked that man. I didn't dream I was preaching to him, but I was. The pastor told me the sequel later. This good brother came with tears. And in a certain situation, under provocation, he said, Preacher, before I knew it, I had my hands on him. God knew that Sunday morning that brother had that need in his heart. I went to another man one Sunday morning down in Alabama in the church. I tried to get him to go to the altar to get sanctified, but he wouldn't. I was called back into that church as a conference president to try to kind of arbitrate in a church dispute that's broken out among some of the members. And that man that I tried to get to go to a place of prayer that Sunday morning had gotten involved in that dispute and had talked about getting his gun. 
You couldn't have told him that that morning. And you can't tell you this afternoon. Can't tell you some, some of you people that are sitting in this crowd this afternoon, friends. And I'm talking as kind as I know how. You can't tell you. You don't see it. But all that God would help you to say, Lord, show me, make it real to me, dig down deep. And how many of us have found out in God's dealings with us along the way when God really exposed us, got to the bottom, and uncovered things we never knew was there? If you've ever had a revelation of your heart, you know good and well, sir, that when God showed you the hidden depths of the carnality of your soul, he showed you things you didn't think was, was there. And if a man's ever had a revelation of his heart, he never sticks his nose up again as long as he remembers it. There. No matter if God has cleansed you from it, you know the pit from which you were digged. and You're not prone to strut around and say, look at me. You know God showed you the potentials that were there. You may have never done it. You may have never said it, but God showed you the deep, hidden potentialities that lurk deep in your own soul. And I'm telling you, if you don't let God deal with those potentialities and deal with those inclinations and deal with those possibilities, they're going to break loose on you someday. The world of crowd, but deep down underneath, there was always an inclination. There was a hidden weakness there, a secret leaning toward the world. I don't know, friends, but God knows the need of your heart. Would we dare open it to him this afternoon and say, Lord, search me. Search me, Lord, and see if there are any secret ill wills or unforgiveness in my heart. Any broken fellowships. You know what I believe, friends? The Holy Spirit is super sensitive, if you'll pardon that word, extremely sensitive to the fellowship of God's saints. You can feel what you want to about it, but the Holy Ghost senses if there's a little cross between us. If there's any feeling in my heart that doesn't freely forgive, freely forgive. You don't have to come and apologize. I forgive you anyway. I hope you do me. If I wronged you, I'm willing to come. If you think I have, forgive me anyhow. Amen. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to agree with what everybody did, but you can have a heart that's free from ill will and unforgiveness and have a heart that's warm and tender. Praise God. 
And don't stoop to these little caveat undercutting, backhanded compliments. Blessed quietness. There's no telling what God would do with the old-fashioned holiness crowd if we'd get all of our disputes settled and our fellowships mended and our love warm and flowing and give God a chance, friends. You can accuse me of being hard-headed or anything else you want to, but I've just got my doubts we'll ever have it till we do. Only God knows what some of us are going to face at the judgment bar of Almighty God. But because of our little petty feelings, or our little ill will, or our little unforgiveness, or our little broken fellowship that have held back the blessing of God while souls tumbled into perdition. Now, don't look so sanctimonious. I'll think you're guilty sure as the world. But seriously, friends, if God can break through to us here, it can be the beginnings of reaching to the deepest needs of our hearts. The first pastor, after coming out of school, and incidentally, if you ever hear a fellow say, when I was in school, I'll tell you why he says that. You'd never guess he'd been if he didn't tell you. But actually, I was. But at that first pastorate, after coming out of school, there was a dear, precious, elderly saint. She'd been in that church for years, she had taught Sunday school class for years. One night in a little pre-revival prayer meeting, probably not more than a half a dozen or so people there, she broke down, wept her heart out, and told us that come a little wrong attitude, wrong feeling between her and somebody, I don't even know who it was. But she said she'd gone and gotten it fixed up and everything was clear. Oh, I'm so glad she did, for there was eating away right then, unknown to us, maybe suspicion by her, but not known. There was an eating away then, that awful dread disease of cancer. Just a few months after that, she was on her deathbed. One Sunday night they came, called me out of the evening service, and I hastened down Brother Vest would know, across Spring Street on the south side there, the little mill house where she lived. The doctor had been there. He thought this was it. The children were gathered in, the neighbors were gathered in, weeping. 
it looked like she was crossing over. She didn't that night, but a little later did. But there I dropped to my knees by the bedside, and though I felt a sense of the loss and the sorrow of the hour, spontaneously there welled up in my heart a holy joy. And Sister Boyd and I rejoiced in the camp meeting atmosphere in the face of death. But hear you me, sir, if there'd been no adjustment back there a few months before, there'd have been no glory around that dying bed. And there won't be around mine, and there won't be around yours. If we keep these little things smuggled down and smothered down and excused and glossed over, there won't be friends. Search me, O God, and see if there's any hidden carnality. The class leader in the church, not evidently one of our holiest churches, probably Methodist, but anyway, the pastor was, said this class leader didn't see his need of being sanctified. A good man, wonderful man, said he didn't think he had any carnality to be cleansed from. One night, the pastor didn't argue with him, but one night, the theme turned to heart searching. They read this 139th Psalm and went on their faces. The Spirit of God settled down. People began to sob and weep all over the church. Finally, when it had subsided, this class leader rose with his hand on his heart, I think. said, oh, my heart, my heart. I never dreamed all of this was in there. And came to the mourner's bank to seek holiness and later entered in just a short time, not too long after, he went out to meet God with one of his last testimonies, the cleansing stream I see, I see, I plunge and all, it cleanseth me. Back when I was just a lad, still in high school, we had a young man come up and preach at our Westland Church there down in Alabama, a little church on the top of the hill in West Blockton, Alabama. They called it the Sanctified Church. Wish all our churches were sanctified. <laughs> that was name kind of given in derision by the town folk. This boy had been converted in an old-fashioned Baptist meeting out in the country. He really got saved. He was a rough-and-tumble sort of a fellow, played on the football team and all that went along. But, brother, he got saved. He'd pray in the chapel. He'd pray in the homeroom. He'd pray on the campus. He'd pray anywhere. And we had him come up and speak in our prayer meeting one night, Wednesday night. I still remember his text. I can tell you what he preached on. He lived out in the country and didn't have a way home, and so he went home with me and spent the night. He brought up this matter about holiness, I didn't know too much about it myself, but I tried to talk with him a little. And, but he didn't see that he needed any cleansing in his heart. He didn't see that he had anything there to cleanse. But I think it probably been about six months later, I talked with him. He poured out his sad story. There again, in provocation, exposure of hypocrisy and so forth, he said a awful spirit rose up in his heart and down he went. 
to his drink, back to carousing, married, fussed, fought for 20 years or more. Finally, I've heard in recent years he got back to God and went back to preaching. But think about it. 20 or 25 years wasted, blasted, wrecked because he didn't discover the deep need of his heart and have it dealt with. He didn't dream that night talking to me in that little home down in Alabama that that thing was lurking in his heart that would rob him of his victory, defeat his life, wreck, almost wreck his life, and for 20 long years, blast and blight and wreck and ruin. And only God knows what lurks in somebody's heart this Sunday afternoon. Only God knows. Only God knows the hidden weakness, the secret leaning to the world, the little bit of bitterness, the little bit of ill will, the unforgiveness, the carnality, whatever it is, the reservation, only God knows. Only God knows. Would you like for him to show you that you could let him cleanse it out, deal with it to its roots and deal with it to the bottom? Has he spoken to you? Maybe it isn't anything I mentioned, but the Holy Spirit has put his finger on it. This Sunday afternoon, not a lot of commotion, not a lot of religious hilarity, but the Holy Spirit has singled you out. Says, son, daughter, husband, wife, father, mother, son, daughter, you better let me deal with you on this point right here or it's going to be fatal. Will you do it? Let's stand and bow our heads. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention. Featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17